welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, deep dive on community with entrepreneur and investor Don Berger. On this episode, we talk about Don's love for bringing people together and how it brings him joy. We talk about the word community and how it's thrown around a lot and how the, the concept deserves to be better understood. We talk about the definition of community and how Don defines it as something that gives people a sense of belonging. We talk about how communities need more than one qualifier to get people really connected. And we talk about how focusing on community management may be a really powerful way for event planners to succeed. We talk about the challenge of creating a sense of exclusivity while respecting diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we talk about how Don believes that event planning is in everybody's job description, but it's not in everybody's job title. We talk about how community organizing skills are the differentiator between good and great event professionals. And we talk about how event organizers should define what community means for them and their events, and also name their community to really be successful. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Event Manager Podcast. Please do check out our other episodes. And of course, we ask you to subscribe, uh, like, and share, and review our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. So welcome everybody to the Event Manager podcast. My name is Miguel Neves and I am the editor-in-chief of EventMB. I'm joined by Dylan, Mon Dylan Monarchio, the deputy editor of EventMB. And our guest today is none other than Don Berger, entrepreneur and investor. Don, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you, Miguel. And thank you, Dylan. I'm so glad I finally know how to pronounce your last name, Miguel. <laughs> it does come up as a, as a sort of trick question a lot. So... For people that don't know who you are, Don, could you give us a short kind of intro about you and, and kind of how you came to be in this world of the event industry? Sure. So most people in the events industry probably know me from uh, founding uh, Social Tables. I started it in 2011. Uh, I sold it uh, to Cvent uh, in uh, October 2018. In fact, we're about to mark the three-year anniversary since the sale. I stayed on board with Cvent for a year to integrate the business and then um, moved on. Um, I guess we can break some news here. This wasn't public information. I was uh, in the process of, of uh, looking very seriously at purchasing meetup.com as I was exiting uh, Cvent, uh, but that deal fell through. It was recently sold. It was owned by WeWork previously. It was recently sold to a bunch of investors, uh, the guys who started DoubleClick. Um, and it was before COVID, so you may can say I may have dodged a bullet, but. Um, I was pretty certain I was going to be involved with that company after selling uh, Social Tables, but that was not the case. Uh, before starting Social Tables, which for those who don't know, is the world's leading event diagramming software. We had a bunch of other products, but that was our main 
um, claim to fame. Um, we introduced the first, the world's first collaborative CAD program for uh, events. Um, our software was used at the time for one and a half million events per year, and we serve about 6,000 customers worldwide. Uh, before that, I, um, I worked for a member of Congress for four years, uh, one of the more senior members of Congress, and that's really where I fell in love with events and learned how important they are in getting communities and people together. Um, and then before that, I was, uh, you know, a computer computer geek, <laughs> and uh, um, I I'm an immigrant, like may maybe many of your listeners. I um, moved to the States from Israel in, uh, in 1990 when I was nine. Um, and yeah, I live in Boise, Idaho. I relocated here um, about a year ago uh, during COVID. And before that, I spent uh, 10 years in DC and uh, before that, New York City. Great. Well, I know that you've been working, I mean, more recently on, uh, on looking at how to foster professional communities and professional networks. Can you talk a little bit about, about where you're going with that? Yeah, I think, you know, like as, I, as I've done the, the exercises that kind of help you find your passion and whatever, um, I think the one thing I realized about myself is that I love bringing people together and seeing those groups that I bring together flourish. Um, it just brings me a lot of joy. And just tonight, for example, I'm hosting this month, I host this monthly thing in my house called Founders and Fire Pits. And it's um, a group of entrepreneurs here in Boise or entrepreneurs that kind of get together in my backyard and hang out. And it started with three people and now it's 40. So, uh, and when I was in business school, I got people together for like a, a dinner once a month in new restaurants. So like we called it the dinner group. So when I was a little kid, I had a tree house and people always came over and we like, you know, drank chocolate milk together in, 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 in this treehouse my mom built for us. So I always loved bringing people together. And obviously social tables, you know, I'm really proud of um, how it was a community first, not just for our customers, but for our employees. Um, in fact, I'm, that's what it, I think it, it was the, the value of hospitality that got us to community. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little more, but um, that was, I think, our unique differentiator. So I've always loved bringing people together um, and, and helping them, uh, connect, um, throughout my whole life and moving to a new place in the, in the height of a pandemic, especially for a New Yorker moving to Idaho, you know, I was kind of alone for the first time in a long time in terms of like not knowing anybody. And I quickly, you know, kind of put together this blueprint or framework of how to join existing communities or create new ones that made me, uh, feel a better sense of belonging uh, here. Okay, that's. I think that's really interesting, and and I'm definitely interested in hearing more about the about the blueprint. But um, as you've settled in Boise, I know you've recently said that community means more there than elsewhere. Has that taught you anything about about the value of community or about how to foster it? Just being in Boise, where it, where it means more. Yeah, you know. So I think as event event professionals, um, we have we throw. Obviously, our goal is to I always, I've always said, you know, event, event planners create worlds and then tear them down in a few days. And I, I find that fascinating. And everybody's talking always about how to create, you know, a 365 day event, you know, kind of like all the different things that go to um, um, creating a, a community. And, and we really throw that word around a lot. Um, and it's one of those things that really needs to be defined better in order for us to, um, actually be successful at it you know event planners are community organizers but before we can you know 
say that that's what we do. We have to really think about what that means. And for me, it means giving people a sense of belonging, making them feel at home when they are at your event or at your meeting. Um, uh, you know, and and I've put together kind of my own kind of thoughts on this, which I'll, we can talk about in a bit. But I would say, you know, it's just thrown around a lot. It's synonymous with neighborhood. It's synonymous with a certain population, with association. You know, we talk about the event planning community. Um, as a you know, as a Jew, we talk about the world, the world Jewry. You know, we talk about New Yorkers being a community, but that's really not enough. I find that, you know, you can't have a community with one qualifier. You need to have two or three in order to really get people to be vulnerable, feel connected to one another on a deeper level than just sharing a religion or sharing a, a you know, a, a, ge a geography or sharing an association or whatever. Uh, one is just not enough. Hmm. I think that's really that's really interesting. Um, and I to to your point about the word being sort of tossed around a lot, um, it seems like some of the more adamant proponents of community and events now are tech companies and they seem to be tying it to the concept of year-round engagement and ongoing engagement and you know the the concept of community is very much motivated it seems at least from their perspective um, by the desire to drive engagement beyond the confines of the event and so I'm, I wonder you know do you see do you see kind of value in the way they seem to be conceiving of it as you know, something that happens largely online, partly on demand possibly, and that should be facilitated in a dedicated space that the event organizer owns and manages? Um, or do you think that kind of a value proposition is more just like a vestige of pandemic pessimism when they thought there would be this virtual engagement vacuum that they had to fill? Oh, I mean, look, I think, I think that there are a lot of, I think event planners have a lot on their plate and Oftentimes, because they're pushed on generating revenue or, you know, generating ROI or generating um, whatever, like sponsorship dollars, um, they don't really focus too much on, um, it's not a priority uh, for them to focus on community building, community organizing, uh, unfortunately, when arguably it should be the first thing they focus on, because when they do that, they'll get more appropriate sponsors they'll get more retention they'll get they'll be able to target the right folks to their event um so i think the trick is how do you create a sense of exclusivity for the community members in other words the event goers um how do you so how do you create a sense of exclusivity while maintaining diversity uh inclusion and equity and that's a really fine balance because inclusivity and exclusivity are on two opposite sides of the spectrum. Um, and I think that um, a lot of people kind of follow some sort of checklist. They're like, oh, we'll have an app and that app will have a directory and then we'll have an online forum and we'll have a LinkedIn group where doing those things is not the actual answer all the time. Those are tools. They're not the actual answer that foster the community that we all want to be a part of. I think it's yeah. interesting the the concept of in inclusivity and exclusivity being at opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, when we use those terms, especially as we describe sort of event audiences, are they on the same spectrum or is that in some sense an equivocation? Because you would want 
you know, you would want you would as you would want a community to be exclusively based on some kind of a commonality, a common interest, or several, as you as you were saying. But the inclusivity component of it, I mean, doesn't exclude people for the for the criteria that you would normally think are important for the purpose of being inclusive, right? In a virtual space, you can you 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 almost have a better shot at being able to create a community around fixed criteria because of the massive pool of people who could fill it. Right. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? Exclusivity means it, exclusivity is a feeling. Inclusivity is a stat. So uh, having, you know, if you're thinking about virtual events, then certainly, I mean, the world is flat, right? Anybody can attend. Um, and you arguably have to be, you know, even more laser focused and use a very sharp knife in order to really segment out what you're looking for. Um, you know, I think about the old days, like on, online and stuff, it's like you had all these lurkers. I mean, today to this day, right? Most of the people on social media are, are consuming they're not creating. Um, that's arguably changing. Everybody's a creator in certain senses, but we have these lurkers and, um, and, and the agenda is usually dominated by several people, whether it's like your association's volunteer board or the people who've been going to your meeting for like 20 years. Um, so they feel a sense of exclusivity because it's like their thing or whatever, but how do you bring it in and make newcomers feel welcome? How do you make sure they are interested? How do you make sure that they're connecting with the right people so that they can come back? Um, yeah, I think a virtual space is definitely, there's much room for experimentation and much more room for, um, you know, create, curating the, the, the experience to, to ensure it, it, it is, it is, it feels and acts and smells and looks like a community. Given, given that, given that you have social media, um, you have de facto communities formed around certain kinds of social media personalities, groups, um, but that a large percentage of those de facto communities are not really active participants in it. Do you think that for the purpose of events, um, community formation involves some kind of an interactivity or, or engagement that's more active? Or do you think it's perfectly acceptable, even within the context of events, for community members to just like passively enjoy their membership in the community and for that to be kind of valid community formation for the purpose? Yeah, it's so interesting, right? Like, I don't know. I, I, we've all been to events where it's like the same speak. I mean, like, look, we don't want an event where like everybody's a speaker, right? Is that, are you, is that a rhetorical question? I don't know. I mean, I think that if it, I think it depends on the nature of the event, but. Um, but wouldn't that be ideal, right? Like if you think about an event, like a true event that adds so much value, it's like everybody there is, can, can add value in a certain way. Um, and speaking maybe is just a metaphor for being active members of the community we're creating. Um, I think, I think that, I think that's interesting. I think that that's an interesting idea. Um, like I think an unconference comes to mind, like how people just show up and kind of like the agenda is set by the people that are there. And, you know, arguably that's the best agenda because event planners are always trying to like predict the future and to kind of tell us what we need to learn as opposed to like, you know, um, uh, maybe doing the really hard work of creating the most epic content that like will be useful to everybody in the room. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, to be honest with you. I don't know the answer to that. Well, what, how would you explain community for an event or for an event brand in, in practical terms, sort of from your perspective as your, I mean, you've, 
it, it sounds like you're running a couple of different communities and that they've grown very organically. Um, in terms of the, the practical application for community development, uh, what, what would you say are the, are the kind of primary features and what that involves? Mm. Um, well, I guess, uh, you know, I, again, I'm maybe breaking news here, but I've decided my next venture is going to be, um, building, uh, starting, I'm going to start a hotel chain, um, uh, a boutique hotel chain is kind of like my next venture. And, and that's one of the key questions I'm focusing on from day one is how do you, how do you create an authentic community, um, uh, from design to execution? And I think it's, there's multiple components when it comes to designing a hotel or designing an event or designing a, a festival or a conference or whatever it is that go into community creation. Um, the first one obviously is, is the, the design. You know, you call it event design, you can call it the physical, the physical, if it's a hotel or a venue, the physical design. What are the, what is the design of the space, both in terms of you know, layout in terms of activations. Um, and then you have a layer, and then you obviously have the attendees, uh, um, the participants probably is a better word. How do you shift attendees? You know, attendees and attendees are, are is a bit of a passive word, participants is more active. So how do you have community participants that are taking part, have a vested interest in the success of the community? Um, you know, what's your strategy to really target market um, and close those people um, who are your ideal kind of members. Um, and I think the key there is so long as they are persons of interest to some of the community members, then they are the right people. Um, as long as they can add value as much as they can extract value, that is a valuable community member. Uh, it's puts and takes. And then it's about, you know, a layer of programming, a layer of execution, like what are the things that activate the people that are. So to summarize, um, you know, design, uh, membership, and programming slash execution is probably, you know, kind of the, the three layers I would think about. And obviously all those have a ton of subcomponents, but those are the three major components in creating a successful community. That's a great, a great summary of, of how to create a community. And just, just a kind of detail in the question here. Um, do you think that event planners are the right people to create communities? Or is that a sort of different set of skills that they may not have, or they may think of things in such a different way that it may not be, they may not be the right people? Look, um, event planner, I, I like to say that event planning is an everybody's job description. It's not an everybody's job title. Um, that being said, there are a lot of folks who have event planning in their job title that are incredible at their job um, and that understand this. Um, unfortunately, event planning means different things to different people. I'd like to think it's one of those soft skills that are really important to take into consideration if you want to be successful and you want to show value and you want to show ROI. Um, um, some people are focused much more on the coordination, on the logistics, on the administrative side. That is changing, um, just like, you know, and probably faster than before. Um, just like everybody during COVID, every event planner during COVID had to become a marketer, uh, you know, a digital marketer. Um, 
and you know learn new skills. I, I think community is the differentiator. Uh, community organ community organizing is the differentiator between good and great event professionals. I think fantastic. So that that definitely makes a lot of sense. And obviously, you know, the the role of the planner is getting much much more complex um, as things move <laughs> and formats change and and the terrain just becomes more unfamiliar. But I suspect that even if they're not if they're not specifically charged with community engagement and and management, that somewhere within their marketing team, there's a role that's going to pop up oriented towards that if they're if they you know if it doesn't already exist especially within corporate spaces. Although associations also have to generate, you know, member engagement. And so in some sense, they're managing their own communities. So I, do you think that it's, it's something that they're going to become more, you know, the own, even if they're not doing it themselves, the onus for them to be able to integrate with and plan according to and align with that role is going to be increasing as things move more, you know, towards a wider audience? I do, and I'll tell you why. Um, because I'm a firm believer in the growth of the events industry, uh, I, you know, and that that can be traced back to several data points, um, from everything from, um, you know, the middle class growing, so people having more budgets for experiences, to the fact that um, businesses are now remote only or remote first, and they'll need events to bring people together, to the fact that people are inundated with digital. Uh, noise and they need face-to-face -face interactions in order to do deals. Um, you know, for, so so events. The the, the number the, the number of events it, in the world is going to increase. Um, and you know, you're you can see this. You know, a decade ago, two decades ago, associations were leading in having the industry conferences, and now it's you know private companies. So I I do think. It, the role will, if it should and will include that. And I do think it, it, it will differentiate successful events from non-successful events. So in other words, if you're going to an event and you know it's gonna be a community um, that you miss, that you're a part of, that you learn from, that you have fun with, that you really miss, that you feel a sense of belonging with, then those, those events are gonna be more successful. I mean, I, you know, when I was CEO at Social Tables, there were a couple of events a year that I was incredibly excited about. I was super, for example, I was super excited about this event called Cater Source. It was in a catering industry event, and I saw all my homies out there, and we, you know, we always had a blast. And then, you know, IMEX, uh, Miguel, where you previously worked, was not, I was a little fearful of because I did not, it felt too buttoned up for me. Um, now, that was, you know, that was the, it's a hotel thing versus like a catering thing, so it's different industries, you know, but IMEX felt a little more sterile uh, than Cater Source. At these examples, this is to me. Um, maybe it's also because I didn't really feel that much belonging at IMEX because it was mostly, you know, um, uh, people booking meetings and people trying to book those, and I wasn't of interest to either party. So, um, it's, so I, I think. But at the end of the day, I think it's you know you're trying to get people to go to your event, and you're trying to make sure, you know, you increase your 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 gross revenue, and if you have a really powerful, strong community at that event, the probability of success is higher. 
Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So, Don, you had a, a really interesting um, kind of way of, of defining community, and it sounds like you spent a lot of time uh, working on that and wondered what your advice would be for, for people that are looking to get to that level or, you know, should they just take your description? Should they, what should they do to kind of get a better understanding of community? Yeah, I think, um, so I have a, so one funny thing I'll say is I think it sounds silly, but I think it goes a long way. Um, is, well, the first thing you should do is probably get your team together and define what community means for your event or meeting. Um, and one fun activity that can, that can create a, a very quickly create a, a sense of, in, a sense of belonging and kind of like an us versus them, like community people versus outsiders is just give your community a name. Uh, you know, like if you have a podcast, you know, call up, what do you call, what do you call those podcasters? You call them, you know, EM EMers or what like for the EM blog or whatever, like just naming your people is a good start to kind of create that community. Um, but but I would get the team together and think about what community means for their event. But I would also say that community starts at the team level. And I think what made Social Tables so successful is that we were a community, you know, people worked at social tables that really believed in what we're doing. Um, the space was designed in a way that created inclusivity the, the company's culture was a hospitality first culture and the book i'm writing right now is called the hospitality principle and it's about how to create hospital how to use hospitality as a core value to make your company more successful so um you know get your team together somehow some way make sure you 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 guys have community within your team and then define it for what it means for your event event uh, for your event goers um, and the kind of, and the, the word has, has obviously it's used for a lot of different purposes, but I think back to um, even to this day where a lot of folks in marketing have the title community manager, when it often means a reactive type job um, where your job is to reply, to like, you know, to, to, and to put out content sometimes, but that's such a one-way street. Um, it's, it's, it's superficial engagement. Um, and, it, and people see through that these days and it, you really need to make sure that the community you're creating is authentic to your brand and to your mission. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I mean, you know, I was a community manager at IMEX and, and that, that rings true. Um, uh, qu quick anecdote. I was at uh, South by Southwest in 2016 and I remember going to a session for community managers, for social media community managers. And it was this sort of like random session where everybody was up in arms how like social media community managers were these people that knew all these parts of the business, but didn't really have any sort of career path within the business. And they were getting really involved in, in all these different communities, which was fantastic, but nobody really understood them and nobody kind of understood what they did. And I think that that kind of says a lot to this idea of community being maybe a, a misunderstood 
thing, or at least within most companies, not kind of paying enough attention to it to really give it its, you know, the attention that it really requires. I mean, I think you did management the next event planning. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I mean, I think, I think Miguel, you did a wonderful job at IMAX because you went above and beyond in, you know, including Karina and including, um, uh, what's his name or her dad? Uh, Ray. Ray, and including Ray, getting them to be visible, creating, you know, you did the video interviewer, video, video interviews um, early on, on the show floor and so forth. Um, I think you, you, you probably, you, you were really great at that job. And, and, you know, to the point about having to know what's going on in the business, I think um, that's right. Because at the end of the day, nowadays, nowadays crises unfold in front of our eyes in real time on social. So you need to brief the community manager right away about, you know, whatever is happening or what, what, what products being released, how are we responding to this? What's our COVID policy, whatever. So that makes sense that they have, they have to be very involved. And yet, you know, they're, they're oftentimes seen as a junior role uh, and not part of a, you know, a larger strategic team. Yeah, and I think the community manager, to many in many ways, is a great kind of listener, and and will usually, well, at least hear things first, but also have a good sense of how the community around a company or an event is going to respond. So while I, I'm not suggesting that community managers should make business decisions necessarily, they may be a good person to sort of test out statements or things that are going to be released or ways of doing things and sort of going, well, I don't know if people are going to respond that way. At least I always felt that. And uh, I think most of the times I was right. But, you know, I, I don't know if I could kind of fact check myself back enough to, to kind of prove that. But that's a gut feeling I have. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. I know that, you know, I think I think within especially within the corporate side, I, I would assume that successful marketers are are regularly engaging people who are front facing and it makes sense to have a role within their team specifically to engage with you know the general public because community managers essentially adopt the 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 almost customer support like function of being custodians of what the users and the and the and the general public feel about a particular company i think it absolutely makes sense that that they would uh, have that kind of feedback-oriented role, um, and I know from having worked in the support team at Event Mobi ten years ago that we, you know, having access to people and having regular conversations with people offered a really kind of invaluable insight into exactly what you were saying: how that messaging would be received, how to communicate with the people who actually use the product, how you know people will engage with the brand and, and what they already think of it. And I think that in a lot of cases, marketers are somehow, in some sense, removed from that from that sentiment because they don't deal with people on a daily basis who actually use the who actually use the platforms. Right? Actually that's, a, use that's, the tools. A, that's a really good point. And you know, if you actually think about it, like calling your users, your 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 participants, your members, a community is a bit presumptuous. Like, how do you know that they feel like they're part of a community? You know, like who who are you to tell me that I'm a community just because I bought your 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 software or just because I went to your event once or just because I remember your association? It's presumptuous. And and you know, a lot of people think they're creating communities, but they're actually not. I think of one product that does this that does community really well is the mail, the the email uh, client uh, or application called Reportive. Um it 
it's a layer on top of Gmail to be able to access your email. But these guys do such an incredible job. They respond to every email. Whenever there's an update regarding something, you contact them, they update you about it. You hear from the CEO on a semi-regular basis with not just product updates, but with life hacks and it's kind of like random thoughts. And it it just, it, it I really feel like I'm, I'm a part of this like, you know, global community of email hackers that use reporter over something else because they treat me like an individual and my voice is heard and they get back to me and they use, you know, really nice language when they talk to me and I hear from the CEO regularly. So I think all those things are really good examples of how easily you can engage people to make them feel like a part of something bigger, which is really what a community comes down to. Ted, I think another that's really fascinating fascinating but do you like when does it, when do you cross that line right because because there's so many companies that do the the whole you know ceo sends you a message call everybody a community maybe it has nicknames but like i've i've been on the receiving end of those things and and sometimes they don't work for me like i don't feel like i'm part of a community i mean is there a is there a recipe is there a way to tell when you've created a community or do you just do that until people feel like they're part of the community <laughs> um, so let me just turn the question. What, what would make you feel? What, what makes you feel like you're a part of a community? I think one of the most important things for me is, is being asked what I like um, and not feeling like it's sort of like a, you know, a 20 page survey that, that's going to give their product team a lot of things, but just like an open ended question or kind of, I don't know, just, just asking for my opinion and feeling like it's valued probably is the thing that I feel is missing in a lot of these uh, kind of transactional conversations that are marketed or that use language that kind of talks community, but in my mind, doesn't really, you know, walk the walk. Right. And, and so if you think about it, every association, as an example, um, has a, an annual survey that they do to get feedback from members. Um, I would hazard to say that 98% of surveys you fill out with your opinion um, don't get responded to. I would say, you know, maybe 40 to 50% don't even get read, uh, you know, word for word. So I think the first step is taking the, the, the communities, <laughs> I'm using that pejoratively a little bit, but taking the community's feedback and opinions and thoughts and following up on them and taking action on it and proving you're taking action on it. So at Social Tables, for example, we have this tool called Tiny Pulse, which we basically, you send a survey to the employees on a, on a bi-weekly basis, twice a month. And you're, you're saying, um, you know, we asked them different questions. And people got tired of it because we never responded to it. And then what we real, and then, you know, so what we started doing is instead of the HR person responding to it, we put it on the managers to respond to it, to every person's comment, it was, it was anonymous, but you can see who they can respond to the, to the team teammate and responding to each one directly. And then we even went as far as during monthly town halls, we highlighted what people said in Tiny Pulse. And then we actually showed what changes we made based off of that. So you gotta have that feedback loop closed in order for people to feel like they are, you know, you authentically care about them, they're listened to. Uh, so as an, an event, for example, you have an event survey and don't have an event survey if you're not going to respond to it individually, directly. Um, otherwise, people will become jaded and not only will they not fill it out, but they'll eventually stop, you know, taking you seriously.
Hmm. That's a, <laughs> that's, it's a sort of bold assertion. I'm not sure that all surveys are, are geared towards necessarily fostering community. I mean, there are all kinds of surveys that are meant to collect quantitative data based on engagement and satisfaction that, that maybe don't merit a response. But I'll say that for me, when but, it comes but, to- So Dylan, just to push you on that a little bit, like what's wrong with saying, if somebody says this was an amazing event, um, you know, sometimes feedback doesn't happen from the first pass, right? How many times have you been like to a movie and you're like, you went to your, with your friends, oh, how was that movie? It was a great movie. Oh, cool. Okay, let's go get a drink. It's like, oh, what'd you like about that movie? You know, what didn't you like about it? I mean, it's just about a conversation as opposed to like a checkbox, like a just kind of a transactional question and answer. Oh, Most people things, right? And you just need, we just need to push them on it. And that takes work, but that's how you really, you know, that's the work in the trenches to, to build a community, at least the core part of the community to make people feel valued. Yeah, I think I think absolutely. Um, if you if you're looking at fostering a community, being responsive to the feedback that you receive is is critical. I'm just thinking about the scale, right? Like if you if you think about an event like IMAX, and they're they're likely going to have a post event survey. How are they going to respond to like a thousand a thousand survey responses that might have provided interesting qualitative information? Well, I would say IMAX is probably a little late to the game, so to speak, but they, you can do, if you have a 10,000 person event, right, and you have an NPS, or you're asking, you know, one through 10 or whatever, like, you can write, you can, you know, like, at social day, we had an NPS, um, Net Promoter Score survey, and we responded to all the, everybody under whatever it was, three or four or whatever, and anybody who was over eight, right, because we had our promoters and we had our detractors, and we reached out to those. So you can kind of create a bell curve to respond to specific people, Um you know, if there's a lot of people, there's ways to segment the folks I'm talking about in order to kind of lessen the work, because I, I totally understand you can't respond individually to 10,000 people, but all events start small, right? So it, maybe, maybe that's the way to do it is if you're just starting, you start small and like, as you grow, you have a strategy for that's a little more surgical. A lot of companies that have built famously successful communities facilitate content creation within the communities that it's, that's community driven. So community members themselves will create content or create events specifically for the community under the umbrella of Apple or Google or whatever. Um, and, and, and that will foster its own kind of like low lift, very scalable kind of community engagement. I wonder if that's not something that um, standard, you know, just event planners who don't who don't belong to Google or Apple can can take inspiration from. Do you think that there's anything to be said for allowing for uh, an event brand's community or an event brand's audience to have some of the control over that content creation if they're able to do it around the event? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's such a that's such a, an, an, an important sign of of a strong of, of a strong brand or a strong event when it's, you know, a lot of it is led by the members. And, you know, I think Microsoft, you know, Microsoft comes to mind or Salesforce comes to mind. They have these like power group, power groups that have, that these are ambassadors. A lot of tech companies have, you know, product evangelists. Um, so I think that, I think that's really important, but I would imagine the audience we're speaking to is not, you know, that far. Um, and I'm sure I'm wrong in some cases, uh, but ideally, yeah, I mean, ideally, the, once you have a really strong community, again, a core a core component, a core uh, following, so to speak, um, 
or core fan base or whatever, um, you can definitely leverage it for um, for growth, for new ideas, um, and is really important in, to engage them in that way. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these, I think, have quite large strategies around the the, the, the kind of evangelists and all that sort of thing. So I think it's 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 probably beyond the scope of of most event professionals. But I think it's definitely worth noting on that. Uh, you know how it's done and how those big companies have been able to do that over over many years. Um, so I mean we've gone really deep on community. I think this is going to be the community uh, episode of the podcast, which is great. Um, and I think we're we're just coming up on time, so I wanted to kind of wrap up with with asking you for people within your community that uh, you might also want to. Uh, or suggest or invite or, or kind of put us in contact with that you think would be good guests to, to have on the podcast and could be, you know, people that would, would like to connect with, with the community or the theoretical community that we have at, at Event Manager Blog or Event MB. I think that, uh, so one of my favorite people is Chip Connolly. He was the uh, global head of hospitality at Airbnb. He was Brian Chesky's like mentor. He started um, Joie de Vie Hotels. Um, he would be amazing uh, on the podcast. I think that somebody from um, YPO on the events team, the global events team would be really interesting because YPO has done an incredible job in creating this literally 30,000 person member CEO association, which I think cumulatively would be like the fifth largest GDP in the world or something like that. Um, those are probably so one chip is more of a physical kind of like community guy in the sense that he's got the hotel and lodging experience um and uh and the somebody from the ypo team is a you know really global event management that that really relies on a lot of um volunteers and regionally and, and locally to be successful um so those two, that person, you know, that person in that category is probably my two recommendations. Um, but I can continue to think about it and get back to you. Perfect. We appreciate it. And I think it's it's our, our small attempt at kind of making a community around this podcast as well, because so many people have suggested people that I don't know uh, about, and I've looked them up, and so so we're gonna we're gonna make those connections and, and build a community from there. No, I think, and I'm so excited, Miguel, that you're, you know, running the show at EM Blog, and um, I couldn't think of somebody better to lead it. And having Dylan by your side is probably great too. Is indeed. Well, thank you, Don, so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a blast, and thank you for allowing us into your concept of community, sharing that with us. I think it's been really, really interesting, and I certainly got a lot out of it. So, uh, deep appreciation for for being with us today. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for thinking about me. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.